Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we're doing another dev mode stand-up and we're doing a live stream on YouTube, right? Yes, we are. Yeah. Come and join us. We do these Friday afternoons every couple of weeks or yeah, well, they're intermittent, but check the Twitters and give a heads up, or at least Andrew does. I need to do a better job about that when these are coming up. <laughs> He's our social media advisor. Yeah. Patrick is the brains of the operation. (laughs) Anyway, let's just uh, kind of breeze past that. So I got a number of things that I want to talk to you about today. But what I want to start out with is just something non-necessarily tech related, but I, I got vaccinated. Good. As, you, yeah. You're vaccinated. Is your, is your wife? I have my second dose of the Pfizer tomorrow, April 3rd. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So what my wife. Get? Was it one of the two dose? Yeah. My wife got vaccinated. She got Moderna and I got the okay. Pfizer. I got to go in for another Pfizer. My booster is in, it's on the 15th. Okay. So it's in, it's yeah, in a no, couple I'm of weeks. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it being able to now talk to family about like, okay, when can we go back to more normal? Because between my mom and aunts and yeah, my dad, everyone is getting vaccinated. Massachusetts has done a decent job after a slow start. But yeah, we're hoping like end of April, we can just start to have more maskless get togethers. There's really great data coming out, I think just in the last day about the CDC even saying that it looks like those who are vaccinated also are not going to be carrying or transmitting. It's like early data suggests scientists are always quick to not say anything until they really feel they can emphatically say it. But that's huge too. Like not only are they protected, but they're not going to be carriers and possibly, you know, keep spreading it even if they don't get symptomatic themselves. So, I mean, it's just huge. And, you know, we've said it a couple of times now, but if you're out there and you're eligible, get vaccinated, go to your, you know, typically it's through your state website. Usually it's pretty easy ways to get linked. It's, it's really hopeful. Well, and I'm looking forward to, I'm actually going to go to a movie theater for the first Ooh. time in a very long time. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to it. last movie you saw in a theater? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Mm. I really don't know. Yeah. I really have no idea. I mean, it was going to be, it would be something kids, family oriented somehow, but I, I don't remember. Yeah, exactly I'm trying to think, of, like, was there a Pixar one that maybe came out end of 2019? We saw Toy Story 4, but I think that was like 2018 at this point. Yeah, man, it's been a long time. What are you, uh, do you have concrete plans? What are you seeing? Yeah, so we're going to see King Kong versus Godzilla because, <laughs> nice. I mean, you know, it's just going to be like the a dumb monster fest thing or whatever, but that's the kind of movie I want to see on a big screen. You know what I mean? Because it, Oh, the totally. whole movie is basically a monster MMA fight. Is really all it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. we're not going there for the plot. We're not going. We're, we're going there to get some snacks, have some popcorn, and watch some monsters kick each other's butts. Always liked Godzilla as a kid. King Kong, sure, but I, I always liked Godzilla until they made that awful remake in the late nineties. You know, I, I, the only thing though, and so this takes me back to like Freddy vs. Jason. I remember that being a big movie when it came out and being kind of excited for like these two iconic characters to fight each other. But you know that like there's not going to be a real victor at the end of this it's going to be some sort of a weird stalemate they'll open up for number two i think what they need to do is have it that there are two endings and you do not know which movie ending you're going to see that would be a brilliant move to sell twice as many maybe not twice as many tickets but some <laughs> multiplier tickets by people who want to go oh i hear it's 7 30 they're showing you know the you know godzilla just bashing his head in or whatever and actually have someone win i don't know i i, I saw pop up because it's interesting uh, hbo max there i think paramount is releasing everything on hbo max maybe it's Warner Brothers at the same time. Did you think about just skipping the theater and watching it on the home theater? Or are you like, no, I'm going to see this in the theater. I want the big screen. Not for this one. This is the kind of movie I want to see on a big screen. And 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm feeling a little bit better about the fact that I got vaccinated, but also not not even just that. Like our local theater, I love. We've got a local AMC. It's one of those fantastic, nice seats, reclining, all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I want to support them. You know, I want them to yes. be around. So I'm yeah, okay. With, I, I definitely want to take out, and yeah, I can't wait to get more back to in in person dining and whatever other way we can support local businesses that I feel like should have been supported more. If they're being forced to close down, I don't know how some of these are hanging on. Well, anyway. Anyway, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to go see this in the movie theater. And I just wanted to to talk real quick about everyone's been cooped up at home, right? So a lot of what we've been doing, probably, you know, there's been some nesting going on. I've been revamping my home gym and I've been doing some other stuff here. But what a lot of people have been doing also is watching a lot of streaming stuff, whether it's television stuff or whether it is movies or whatever. Are there any memorable movies that you have seen or shows that you've seen recently that you're interested in sharing? Because I'll tell you what. I watched Invincible, right? So it's this, I, I knew nothing about this. So yeah, Invincible yeah. is this cartoon show that's, it's now on Amazon. It's a comic. It, it, it's, yeah, originally a comic, yeah. Yeah, and I, I knew nothing about it, except that certain people gave it good reviews and I should check it out. And I saw that there was this mature rating on it, you know? Mm. And I'm like, oh man, that sucks. I kind of want to watch this with my kids, you know? Yeah, and I'm watching them, I'm wa- hold on, hold on, hold on. And I'm oh, watching boy. it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. I'm like, this isn't that bad. Like, there isn't anything that bad in here that I could definitely definitely watch this with the kids and then we got to the end yeah. <laughs> i'm not wait, gonna give so away were your kids watching or are you and your wife watching? no no just me just me okay i was checking it out we got to the end and it's like mm-hmm. almost like a post-credit scene but it's actually like really long and extended and yeah. i'm watching it and i'm like oh oh, oh. Yeah. i'm like okay yeah probably not <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably skip this one with the kids. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen the show yet. I think it's Amazon Prime, which yeah. is funny because you and I have talked about The Boys before, which is another really great, you know, super dark oh, yeah. live action show. Yeah, I, the only reason I knew Invincible, I, I was into the Walking Dead comics and the show a, a while back. And Robert Kirkman, who did both the comic and the and the show, also did the Invincible comics. And so I just like bought the compendium. I, I didn't make it all the way through. Just not that it wasn't good, but I just didn't find the time. And yeah, it, it is a dark show but it's a really neat take on just almost like a justice league type thing where you have this whole group and you think it's going to go one way and it, it goes a lot of different ways i don't want to spoil anything but yeah i'm interested yeah. to see that that show andrea from the chat says ozark so she's been watching that i watched the first season and i really liked it and i think i watched the second but maybe and i don't know i don't know if it's on the third now or something like that but i know the second one for whatever reason kind of lost me a little bit but i did really enjoy the first one maybe i'll pick it up again but yeah. you, you haven't found anything really really awesome <sighs> You've been watching. Well, you know, the wife, other thing uh, I've been doing, Patrick, yeah. while you're thinking, I've also been rewatching Battlestar Galactica. Like the one, never the seen remake. it. I've heard only good things. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Never seen it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <sighs> never seen it. <laughs> we're, we're done. We're, we're... I'm just gonna turn it off now. This is unbelievable. It's one of the best. Sh- it's amazing. It's really, really good. My wife is not into sci-fi. Has a very low tolerance for it. So it's hard because you know at the end of the night we'll get together and just watch something together. And so if it, it has to be something that we both watch, or for example, like when I was watching the boys, I basically was waiting for her to go to bed, and then I throw on my ultra gore superhero show. Yeah. So one show that we watched together was Good Girls, which it's not a great show, but it's a good show. A little bit of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's it's almost like what if Breaking Bad but Housewives. Um, <laughs> and right. they 
yeah, they they all need money for some reason, so they decide to hold up a grocery store, and that that gets them involved in a larger criminal underworld. And next thing you know, they're counterfeiting, and they they've got this bigger and bigger operation, and they're it, it's good. It's not great, but it's good. And it has Christina Hendricks, who was shown on Mad Men for anyone who's seen Mad Men. She's very good. The other one, I feel like everyone's talked about this at this point. I don't know if you've seen it though. Have you seen Ted Lasso? No, because I don't have an Apple TV. I heard amazing things about it. Uh, but I don't have I don't have the Apple TV subscription. All right, we'll talk. We'll get you to watch Ted Lasso. You've got plenty of you've bought so much Apple stuff. You absolutely you get free Apple TV whenever you buy something these days. So you should have some sort of subscription. But it is it's good. It's not I mean you like things that are a little grittier, maybe more cynical. It is but I don't know, especially with the year we've had, it's so optimistic and positive, but funny. It's a really great show. And Caroline said that she has an either, mean either, which I guess means Battlestar Galactica. If you're into sci-fi at all, it is, it's almost like, it's sort of like maybe, I don't know, do you remember that the original Battlestar Galactica was just like this really super cheesy, I don't know, maybe from the 70s show? It was really cheesy. So when they came out and did this remake thing, I was just like, are you serious? Like, that was such a dumb yeah. show. And then I, I, I watched it a number of years ago and I was like, wow. I mean, it's it's yeah. really, really good. It's really worth checking out if you haven't checked yeah, it out I, already. There There is definitely, I mean, people joke about it all the time. There's not enough time. I mean, WandaVision, I still haven't finished WandaVision. I got partway to where it's like just starting to turn from this, you know, Marvel characters dropped into I Dream, I Dream of Genie over into, okay, there's something bigger and sinister. There's a Truman's uh, show going on around her and what it what is real. So I need to finish that. But now I've got Falcon and Winter Soldier yeah. whatever it is and oh my gosh like it, it. There's too much content. It sounds like you're just working too hard, Patrick. You gotta yeah, I will be on. very good at being retired. I have no... Some people, oh, I don't know if I could ever retire. I am so ready to retire. Whenever I hear about people that, you know, get a few million and they just need to, like, get more and more, I would just absolutely peace out, take a percentage every year, and live off of that. I, I'm ready to retire right now. I don't believe you. I don't believe <laughs> that you would just retire. Like, I, I know I wouldn't. I know I, yeah, I, 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 I would definitely be doing stuff. Phil Zangle says, I think you should leave. And he says it's a show on Netflix. I, I don't believe him. I, I think he's actually just telling people that they he's just telling leave. us to leave. <laughs> yeah, he's just telling, us, he's telling right. us like the cane comes out and just pulls you off. I cannot tell if this is just backlash against me not seeing Battlestar Galactica or what's going on. But well, it should yeah. be. I mean, seriously, yeah. you, you you need to see it. But in in any event. All right. So another thing I wanted I wanted to know about from you is my understanding is you are on a quest for some kind of a either a uh, NAS or yeah. a raid array for your home. So why don't you tell everybody what it is that you are trying to do with it, like what you want what you want to do with it and what you're looking at? Because I've had a few other people ask me, you know, hey, what should I get for a NAS? So here's the thing. Yeah, and I, I've we've talked about this, but I, I have a NAS today. I have a, a Synology disk station, and it's fine. It, it, it you know in terms of putting files on the network and then hooking a, a little Plex server up to it. I have movies and shows on there. It's fine, but I'm finding that I want to do more and more. I want, I want to run more applications off of it. I want to feel like it's more of a server than just a NAS. I don't want it just to be storage. And yeah, I want something that has multiple cores, plenty of RAM, and the NAS is very much, you buy it and it you, you can't you you can upgrade the RAM. It's not simple, but you can do it. You can't upgrade the processor at all. And I feel like it's even like running a Celeron processor, which, yeah. What's the difference between a NAS and a RAID array? And why do you, why would you want one over the other? Are you quizzing me now? No, I'm just for anyone who's listening, because people do conflate yeah. those terms a lot. And there are times I mean, when you would want just a RAID array, and there are times that you would actually want a NAS. And it depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, to me, and I, I'm just talking off the cuff, like a RAID array, there's no processing tied to it. There's no 
intelligence tied to it. You have disks and a controller and they're hooking into something else that's probably providing access and maybe coordinating backups or whatever else you want to do. And NAS is a little bit more full featured where you're going to get some sort of software layer with it that'll cover your backups. And the other part, so it's not just because I have, you know, this collection of movies and, and whatnot or uh, my plots, but we have a whole bunch of home movies that I've digitized over the years that literally some of these are 50 years old that are old reel to reel. This is rare bytes and I want to make sure that they're backed up really well. I like that the NAS that I have lets me do offsite backup to Amazon Glacier. I can hook in a USB drive and just have a little simple copy that's actually iterative and checks for any sort of byte rot. So too, they're, you know, they're basically files that I'd be crushed if I ever lost. Well, well so most NASs are RAID arrays. Sure. RAID is just a, a redundant array of inexpensive disk is what it stands for. So it's a way of taking a whole bunch of drives and combining them together. And there are a bunch of different levels of RAID. And mm -hmm. basically they are about the redundancy or how the data is stored. So depending on how you do it, a, a whole drive can fail and you can just pull it out, hot swap it, throw in a new one and everything is good to go, which is, it's kind of nice. It's like self-healing in a way. And then NAS stands for Network Attached Storage. So that's kind of like taking some kind of storage, usually a RAID array, but adding the controller on top of it. So you just plug it into the network and it has its own interface and then anything can connect to it, right? Because like right next to me in my rack, I have a couple of RAID arrays, but they're just hooked up to my computer. But back at the house, I've got an old ReadyNAS that we've got hooked up there that's sitting there just attached. And man, that thing, we've had it for like a decade and it's still yeah. working. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I have my, my NAS, you know, my Synology hooked up to yeah, UPS. So, it, you know, power goes out. We've got a little brownout. That's not a problem. And it has a USB that hooks in, which will basically tell my NAS, hey, the power just went out. You may want to power yourself down because don't know how long this will be, but there'll be a battery there that keeps the power steady. And so they can responsibly shut down without crashing. So that's how you get data loss. Anyway, so what are you looking at in terms of getting this thing? Because I know a couple of people have asked me, they said, hey, what NAS should I get? And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like, I just don't really care. I would just probably buy another ready NAS and just not care about it and stick it on the network. But you have specific requirements, right? You don't yeah, want any I, proprietary software. You want to be able to... I'm okay with proprietary software. You know this. You, um, but you want to run Kubernetes on your RAID array or, or I don't need full-on Kubernetes, right? but yeah, I mean... <laughs> Synology makes it very easy that, you know, Docker comes baked in and you, you know, I love a nice UI. You can just pull your images right through the little UI, see all your stats on your, everything you're running. They're really, really nice. They, my, I mean, my issue is that I just want more horsepower. And to me, I feel like, okay, I want something bigger and larger that I'm going to get with a little NAS appliance. Mm -hmm. I want something that's going to have 12 core, 24 core, where I can throw a ton of Docker containers at it. Maybe Why? at some what, point. What are you going to do? Come on. What are you going to do on there realistically? Come so on. Right now, and we'll talk about ubiquity in a minute, but I'm running my U Unify controller, not that that needs a lot. I'm running a transmission thing for Bit BitTorrent. I'm running an another few, let's just say, media centered Bit things. BitTorrent? Yeah. I, yeah. I got to cue the Obi-Wan meme now. That that's a name I haven't heard in many years. Or uh, you're, you're missing out. It it's alive and well. There's a lot that I'm doing on there. The Plex server needs 4K transcoding. There's a lot. So I'm beyond the point of just like, I need to serve some files on a network. I want something that's more of a server than it is a NAS. See, I used to do all that, man. Like I used to rip all of my DVDs. Mm -hmm. I used to use Handbrake. I used to do all that stuff. And then a couple of years ago, I, you know, 
I had, I had kids, I got animals, I got all this other stuff going on. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I just don't have time to deal with this crap. And now all of the movies that I have, I've purchased, you know, in the cloud or from a streaming service or whatever. And I just gave up entirely on the idea of, yeah, I, you know, I don't like my own in. I, I don't like, yeah, having to think, okay, but if I take this away or if, uh, if Netflix gets rid of The Office one month and now I can never watch The Office again, I like owning things. Yeah, no, I, I still like what I've got there and I can, and the way that Plex is set up, I can share with family and friends it's really nifty i'll have to show you it but yeah no i mean I, i'm at the point where i have a friend who he has an entire you know 48u rack in his basement and he's done a whole thing called proxmox which is essentially it's a hypervisor where he can spin up as many ubuntu vms as he needs and allocate resources he's got ansible scripts to set this thing up that's a uh, that's a little too far from me i need something that is going to less be you know one day i mess something up and everything's gone i can just see that happening i I don't know what I want. I just want a really good upgradable <laughs> Synology, I think, at this point. I don't know what I want. I don't. <laughs> All right. I just, well, yeah. I want you to keep track of this. Okay. And whenever you do end up buying one, let us know what you get. Because at, at some point, I'm probably going to need to upgrade the NAS that I have in the rack back at our house. So I'm going to let you do all the research. Yeah, and listeners, let's, let's crowdsource this. If you're if you're either in the chat right now, we can come back and talk about it. Yeah, yeah any anyone, suggestions, I'm open to it. Absolutely. Anyone listening to this, most people listen after the fact, not on the live stream. So sure. if you're listening to this, go to the devmode.fm website or to the YouTube channel and leave a comment and tell us what you get or what you think is a good idea to get. Alex is in the chat and he's talking about just going with a mini rack route. We, you talked about this, right? You're thinking about maybe getting a rack. The real issue is you don't know what the actual device is going to be that you stick in the rack, right? That's what yeah, you're I still kind of trying to decide. Right now, it's a decent little gaming machine, but it's kind of collecting dust. I could just grab a 4U server chassis and put all those components in there. I think I might do that. Ryan Ireland, local file storage seems antiquated. Man, I, I love just good media that I can stream across my network. I don't have to worry about power outages. We I'm bring surprised it with you me. Well, I'm surprised you aren't clutching on to like your Blu-ray discs then. Like why Why don't you just have, if you really want the, the ultimate, no, you know? I mean, because plastic degrades over time and, it, and then you've got the menus and all that. I can share these with family and friends. I've got to show you Plex. I don't know why you resisted for so long. It's not even resistant. It's more just like, how many hours in the day do I have? You know what I mean? And speaking better, of that. Better than Netflix. Speaking of how many hours in a day do I have? I The next thing I want to talk about is how do you deal with, as someone who has been freelancing for a very long time, how do you deal with clients that slow pay? Right? Because I've had an <laughs> issue with a, a client that I work with lately that, you know, they're fine otherwise, but they they slow pay. If it was on your credit rating, if it was on your Dun & Bradstreet mm -hmm. report, it would say slow pay. But they're good otherwise. How do you deal with that? What do you do? So, I mean, I've is this a, is something where you finish the work? and you're just waiting on that last invoice or is this ongoing and just everything's just lagging the, you know it's not it's latency more than it is uh, bandwidth yeah it's latency so the, the work is done but it's it's you know it's ongoing work and the invoices are submitted but they're never quite there exactly when they should be like what, what is your strategy for dealing with slow pay in that regard I've been pretty fortunate I mean I only really had to deal I had to deal once with someone who basically looked like it was not they weren't going to pay for the work I think we talked about this 
a couple of years ago in dev mode, but I had one of the luckiest bugs I've ever had, which was they turned on some feature on the site for playing a, a modal video or something, and it just was broken. And I'm like, you know, they, and they had been holding, I think, $25,000. It was a decent chunk of the project that they still owed me after we completed. And then they went and tried to turn on a feature of the site, and there was a bug. It was our bug. It was for us to fix. And they had the goal after, you know, saying, oh, the check's in the mail, the check's in the mail. Oh, no, something happened. Like, it was to the point where I'm like, okay, you know, boy, you cried wolf. I don't believe anything you say at this point. But yeah, they, they had a bug on the site and then they, they said to me, hey, this bug needs to be fixed. And I'm like, that's funny. You mm. owe me $25,000. I will, mm. the, literally the afternoon this check clears, I will fix that for you free of charge, but pay me and we'll get this fixed. <laughs> so that, that took care of that. But I guess, do you have any kind of general strategies for it? Because I, I know the interesting thing that I found is that sometimes the larger the company that you mm. work with, it can take even longer. Like I remember back when we used to do site licenses, universities were the worst because you'd have to submit a purchase order and then you'd have to fulfill it. And then it would have to go through multiple layers of payment approvals and all that garbage, you know? Two things have worked. So once I had a client and this was during COVID and they kind of tried to blame it on COVID. And I'm like, this was three months overdue back in January. And we had a, it was an ongoing client. I said, you know, here's the thing. We're, we're so far behind. We're just going to have to stop work for a while if this doesn't come in. And that's good for an ongoing client where you can say, you know, just pause you, it. Yeah. You don't go to any Mickey Mouse stuff like trying to take their site down or lock them out of their own CMS. Like that's just probably leaves you open to some sort of liability for tampering with the product. That's but, what Squarespace does, right? So if you don't, <laughs> yeah, if you well, miss payments for long enough, yep. Square, Squarespace, when people go to your website, it will say, you know, mm-hmm. locked out or whatever. Suspended and, for and, uh, non payment or something. I think they get pretty uh, yeah. strong with that. And yeah, recently, so, yeah, Squarespace itself yeah. was locked out. I don't know if you saw that. I, I think I sent that. it to you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you know, basically, hey, we're, we're going to have to stop work for a while because right now we're so far behind. You know, it's it's crunching our cash flow and whatnot. And I've never had someone really push back after that. The other thing that I do is pretty much all of our contracts do stipulate that if payments are more than 30 days that we can charge interest. And it's pretty steep interest, like 3% a month or something. And so what I'll do, especially if I have a feeling that they are really behind on thing, you know, that it's not, they just don't care and whatever, If you know, or I just don't like the client. You start sending those invoice interest payments. You send the invoice again, and oh, you've racked this many hundred dollars up. Oh, and this many. And usually someone will lose it. And absolutely, and I'll say, happy to wipe these out for you if we can get a check in the next week. And that has fixed the problem several times for me. How about you? I mean, it's a good amount of money. And right now it's just not coming through. More of an annoyance than anything else. You know what I mean? Part of the the thing that bothers me most about doing freelance work is just the meta work of having to run around. And I don't want to chase you down to to pay me. Like, come on, you know, like just just do it if you need to do do it. Fresh. FreshBooks or QuickBooks or any of those? or I use Harvest. So really the okay. only thing I do is I, I have an auto nag set up that, you know, if the invoice isn't received in a certain amount of time, it'll just resend it. And for the most part, that tends to work out pretty well. I have not instituted late fees. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex is saying that he has late fees of 3%. Mm-hmm. And that they compound the longer that they go. Which exactly. Is, yeah, same here. Yep. That's sort of a nice way to do it. I haven't had to do that yet. Maybe that with this one particular client, maybe I'll maybe I'll have to start instituting that. Or I don't know. I mean, part of me is just like maybe I'll just not 
do any work for them anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's that no, I'm too. serious. I'm it's serious. The nice part of you can pick who you can and who you do and don't have to work with. Right. And well, when I used to run the software company, our support staff, I allowed them to fire one customer per month. <laughs> I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know, I'm all about empowering them, and they, they shouldn't have to put up with someone who's just a jerk. And you know, one person, you know, they say the the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Mm-hmm. But if you get rid of that wheel, it doesn't squeak either. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. that's another thing that can be done. Um, yeah. So maybe it's a situation where I just I just don't work for this particular client anymore. Oh, I and, get it. you know, whatever outstanding money, I know I'm going to see it eventually, you know, and it's not I don't think I'm going to get stiffed. But but we've talked <sighs> to people in, in the craft community even that have been stiffed and had to uh, resort mm-hmm. to like small claims. Uh, you know, I don't want to call in any names, but it can get to that point. So I would stay on it. The other thing, too, like the auto nags are handy in terms of doing that. I find a personal note actually helps a little bit more because people know when it's an automatically generated, you know, you are right. 30 days past. They actually get a note from Andrew saying, hey, man, just, you know, checking in on this payment. We're X amount of days past due and it's, you know, becoming a bit of a problem. That can usually get a response more than the auto nag can. Got it. All right. Cool enough. Yeah. Well, I yeah. appreciate it. Um, and if anyone has any comments on this, uh, definitely if you're listening to this after the fact and you have dealt with any clients that are slow pay, like I, I am curious to hear what your strategies are for dealing with this. I would love to hear it. Leave, leave a comment on the dev mode site or on the YouTube channel, you know, whatever you want. And Patrick, you're definitely getting back to what we we're saying before. You're going to let us know when you figure out what NAS you're going to get, right? I will, but I, I'm in. I'm full on analysis paralysis. I, I would really appreciate anyone giving me some sage advice. And I don't know. Yeah, I want big horsepower. I, I don't mind if I have to pay for it, but I also don't want it to be so fiddly that I end up accidentally corrupting everything and destroying my grandparents' home movies. Yeah. So, Well, do me a favor. Check your phone real quick. And I'm going to talk about something real quick while you're, while you're checking that. So another thing I wanted to mention is that a website that is probably the first website that I would say that I ever made, sort of. It was a website for a buddy of mine, CrushLivePoker.com. It was recently redone by... So first of all, it was, it was this long, drawn-out thing where we ended up having to move it to a new server so it could be secure and and Michael Rogg helped out and did a whole bunch of stuff bringing EE it's like EE 211 something whatever patching that so it could actually run on a modern server and that was up and running for a while but then the folks at One Darnley Road John D Wells and company were in charge of revamping the site and redoing it and it just went live and I think it looks beautiful it looks way better than the site that I did oh, for them back the typography, in typography yeah 2013 yeah, yeah yeah the design the typography and they spent a bunch of time also just kind of figuring out what should be where and what makes the most sense and so some things were cut out and some things were added and I'm just happy to see this up and live and I wanted to mention it and the, the reason I wanted to bring it up here is they ended up doing what you and I had discussed which is converting all of their subscriptions over to Chargebee yeah I should so get now, a cut of this yeah I, yeah I did some of the research so this is a I, I was bidding on the project at one point it, it's funny I was supposed to have a conflict that I didn't think I could even bid on the project and that uh, project got pushed out by seven months so I, I could go back but man they your friend Bart can't there, say I didn't he, give he, you the opportunity with right. a really good group because this site is killer now I can't say I didn't give you the opportunity to get that bid in I was chasing I you to I, get that bid I was supposed to have in. a project starting January it you were like slow bid forget about slow August. pay oh you were slow bid I, <laughs> yeah Anyway, 
they ended up using Chargebeat to handle their subscriptions. They, they had looked at, you know, using potentially any number of different things. Uh, they could use commerce. They could use a lot of different things. Ended up going with Chargebee, which handles all of the subscriptions, but more importantly, gives them a ton of insight into who is subscribing and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. Now, it's early days. It ju- it, they just went live with it. Not everything is going to be perfect. And also, there isn't enough data to look at to see how useful is this. But but overall, I think I'm really happy about the way the site looks. I know that Bart, the guy who runs the site, loves the way everything looks. And we're, we'll see how Chargebee ends up working out. But it looks like it ends up being a, a pretty good solution for them. Yeah, I did a project years ago where it was a craft project. But yeah, they want to do subscriptions and they went Chargebee. And it costs a little bit more. You know, you could do DIY it a bit more. But they it's almost like subscriptions as a service for products or for SaaS. If you're building a SaaS product and you want it to handle subscriptions for you and really not have to worry about all that, they do a ton for you just to manage all that. I mean, I'm sure Stripe has some offerings now. But even then, to the amount of work you would spend to build it out in the first place and then keep it up and maintain it over time, I think it's really worth it to just outsource that to a group like Chargebee that makes it just almost plug and play to do that sort of integration with a subscription. Yeah, I'm pretty thrilled about the way this turned out. And, and Ben Croker asked in chat, can we see this new site? And so I put in the URL, but it's crushlivepoker.com. For anyone who's listening to this after the fact, it's a poker training site, essentially. And it's run on craft. CMS. I didn't say that, but it it's kind of a kind of a given in some regards. But it it's running on Craft CMS and Chargebee is what is being used for the recurring subscription stuff. And everything was all ported over from the old EE thing, which was kind of horrendous. And it just went live. So I'm you know, interested in the data model because yeah, like I said, I was doing some research and it was so interesting. Um, so the website is yeah all training for poker, and so it, it'll literally if you've seen plenty of data models, as I'm sure many of our CMS friends have, this literally had you know the king of diamonds, three of spades, whatever, like a whole, I think, common delimited data model. I'm interested to see where that all came out. That's really interesting. Yeah, this site looks great. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. So what do you got going on? You got a couple things that you brought to the table you wanted to chat about, so let's hear it. Oh, yeah, no, I'm interested. Um, I mean, we talk about craft on this quite a bit. Looks like 3.7 is not quite out yet, but it's on the horizon. Brandon Kelly is doing his cool thing where he starts tweeting about uh, features that are coming down the line. Drafts are now going to, on a per block basis, you know, show you what the diff is between an old matrix block and a new one. I still want to see when we're getting matrix and matrix. And I, I hope craft four is coming because man, I, I've had, I love super table. It helps me because it, I need it, but I'm really just desperate for that to someday become first party because once in a while, I don't know how, but project config gets unhappy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this is just based on my own speculation and what I've seen. I'm kind of like Jon Snow. I know nothing. This is not any, (laughs) I'm not told any insight or anything. I think that the reason for 3.7, I don't don't think they were even planning to do a 3.7. I think they were going to just focus everything on 4.0. I think Craft 4.0 has become a version that they kind of needed to do in order for the uh, WC3 and some other, I think it's going to be more of a smaller step than Craft 4 was originally planned to be. I don't know what features are going to end up being on there or whatever. But my understanding is that it looks like Craft 3.7, one of the main impetuses for that. Impetuses? Is that a word? It would just be impetus. impetus. Yeah, the reason for being. Sure. Yeah. 
No, no, but you wouldn't say impetus is, right? It would just be impetus, the main impetus for doing that. Impeti. Impeti. No, that's not Latin, man. <laughs> anyway, or maybe it is Latin. In any event, I think it's the draft system. So there there have been, the draft system has been going through revisions. I mean, ever since it was introduced and there was a lot of people saying that their clients were kind of confused and they didn't even use drafts. Like, is there a way that we can just turn this off? And a whole bunch of talk about that. And I think Crafts 3.7 was kind of being built to address that. That to make the draft flow a little bit nicer. And then also, I think, don't hold me responsible for this, but I think to be able to turn off drafts if it's just something that you don't want to use. And so I think, you know, now that they decided they're going to need a 3.7, which I think they weren't originally going to do, they're adding some of this other stuff here that you're talking about, like the per per block diff and all, all that kind of good stuff. So it's it's all quality stuff. You know, yeah. it's all it's all good to see. Yeah. Yeah. My only issue with drafts has been that uh, there are a bunch of ways that content authors can unintentionally create a draft going into live preview you yeah, the way it's architect you need a draft in order to then reflect back to the front end what is happening in the browser but i'm almost wondering like yeah, just thinking about it now out loud but right now when you have live preview open you can click you know the close pane or whatever it'd be interesting if you could say like close and discard or something they would basically say hey i was just messing around don't worry yeah. about what i was doing you don't need to save this in the db and create a whole bunch of blocks Almost wondering if that could be a way to deal with something like that because it, it typically is pretty good these days. You know, the first time the drafts went through a big revamp, everyone was creating drafts left and right accidentally anytime you edit anything. But right now, I think live preview is the only way to unintentionally create a draft. And here's the thing like, so to Brendan and everyone at Pixel and Tonic, to their credit, they're trying to get this thing right. Okay. Yeah, for a lot of people. But, yeah. But what that means, yeah, exactly. They're trying to please everybody. But what that means is that there have been a lot of little changes that have trickled in. So I remember actually, I was about to publish, I think it was a new podcast, I think. And the update had just changed. It had just changed in Craft 3.6, like the, the way the draft system worked. And there were two buttons there. And one of them said, save draft. And then the other one said something like, save something or other. And I remember staring at those two buttons and I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know which one I'm supposed to be hitting here. <laughs> just because it had changed enough that I just I just wasn't sure. Like, what, what each one was going to do under the hood, you know? So I think they're going to be working on addressing that to make that a little bit more clear, but also just putting some kind of finality on it so that we can, everyone can be like, okay, now I know what these things do. We can move forward because educating clients on what these buttons do and when to hit what has been a moving target as they've been tweaking it to try and please everybody. A bit. Yeah, it has been, but I think it's been in a good direction. I'm not Um, saying it's not a good direction. Don't, don't try and throw me under the bus, Patrick. How dare you? I'm in full agreement. No, it's been this all moving in a- Am I using this term correctly? You're gaslighting me. Am I using it right? I'm not. I'm not just feeding you. In, in, no, no. Oh, okay. All I right. do love the word gaslighting, though. <laughs> Almost as much as I love make files. Yeah. Said no oh, one yeah. ever. Said no oh, one my ever. God. My God. Look at that with the, the transition. Yeah. So that is something I wanted to talk about. So I've been doing a bunch with make files. Do you know what, what make files are? is it? It's something that happens in a script when I install server software and I just see a lot of things fly by, but humans don't make these. Like people that work for the Ubuntu Foundation make these. How, how are you working are with you make Are you calling files? them not humans? They, have you seen these people on Hacker News? Like they, they're working at a higher level. I can't understand anything. Wow. Wow. So first of all, make files are pretty simple. They've been around for a really long time. Just because you don't understand it, Patrick, doesn't mean it's magic. Okay. All right. So like, come on, take it easy. No, okay. the make files essentially were the OG of building stuff. You know what I mean? Because back in, I think it was invented in like ni- the early 1970s. 
by Ritchie. You know, one of the authors of the Kernigan and Ritchie C book, like the, oh, gonna, the classic yep, yep, book. Right over there. Yep. Um, and it's basically a way to build all the stuff that needs to be built. And the way what you do with a makefile is you list in there, you've got a target, and then you've got d- things that it depends on being built first. And then you've got a recipe to build the target, right? So on, on the left, you'll have a target, we'll call it, I don't know, soup. And you'll have soup, colon, and then the recipe underneath that will be how to build soup, okay? And soup will be referring to either a file or a directory. So if it doesn't exist, it runs the recipe and it builds the thing. It's kind okay. of the, the paradigm that it uses. Okay. And you can also have dependencies so that if there are a number of things that need to be built before you can make the soup, like maybe you got to make the noodles before you make the soup, you list those in the dependencies and it just runs those first and then it builds the rest of it. But you're right. A lot of this is all of the the operating systems uh, for that are Unix based, the actual operating system itself, they're all built using make files, <laughs> like all the packages yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They've got so these. Why are you using these? What are you building server software now? What are you doing? And so they're really useful for automating and building stuff. That's what they exist for. I'm using them. I'm using and abusing them. And I'm, I've got an article that I was going to write this morning, actually. <laughs> But I ended up fixing a bunch of bugs and stuff, so that was kind of annoying. I really want to try and make, parenthetically, I really want to try and make Fridays the days that either I I do a podcast or I do writing or I do some non-coding stuff. But I always feel bad. Like, if someone reports a bug, I always feel like I should try to fix it. If it's there just waiting on you, yeah. Well, if it's an easy enough thing. Anyway, you know, anyway, I want you to hold me to that, that I'm going to do more because I I, I haven't written an article in a while. I was, just as you said that, I'm like, man, when was the last? article it's been it's been some time yeah it's been a, been a little and i've got a, a huge backlog of articles that i want to write a- anyway yeah. anyway i'm gonna make write files. an article on make files to show people what i'm using them for so anyone that uses the the shell a good amount has set up shell aliases to, they can type one thing and it will do another whether you're using bash or z zsh or whatever you're using mm-hmm. i'm using make files as local aliases so that when i am in any of my project directories you type make and then a command okay and what make does is it looks for a make file in the current directory and that's your where the recipe is so i'm using make as a way to have local aliases so it's a way that i can when i go to a particular directory and i type make dev it will do whatever it needs to do to spin up a dev server and and get it up and running for a particular project and the nice thing about that is that it, it divorces the machinery underneath that is needed to bring up local development mm-hmm. from the way that you do it. And I found in onboarding people, it's way easier to say, okay, to start developing stuff, type make dev, okay? As opposed to saying type Docker compose up, you know, or whatever. And it also gives me the flexibility. Let's say I ended up switching to Nitro at some point. Well, sure. I, I would just change what's in the make file and everything would still just kind of work behind the scenes, you know, whatever it was doing. And it also gives me the flexibility to add a bunch of other stuff to the make file, like convenient things to do. So mm. when it's time to build it and go to production, people just type make build and it builds everything, does everything that it needs. You don't have to know what it needs to do. It does everything it needs to do to build the production assets and away you go. And I followed a, a similar paradigm for my plugins. So whenever I'm working on a plugin, I just type make dev. The dev server comes up. I've got HMR in the, the CP when I'm developing the plugins. Mm-hmm. I've also got a plugin development site that I use. And oh, I'm sorry, and backtrack. So also for plugins, for instance, I added a make docs command. So all I get, whenever the documentation's been updated, all I have to do is type make docs and it does whatever it needs to do and it builds the docs and kind of away it goes. Okay. So it allows me to kind of build my own local set of commands for each particular 
project that are they're going to be the same wherever I go, and I can switch out the machinery underneath that does whatever it do- needs to do, and away we go. And now people's first reaction to this often is, well, why don't you just write a shell script, right? <laughs> the issue with writing shell scripts is that first of all, they're going to have you're going to have to put them in like a scripts directory, and you're going to have to give them these weird names, you know, naming them based on what they do, and you can also run into permission issues. So if for some reason they check it out, doesn't have the plus X flag on it and all that stuff. Yeah, you got to do all that kind of nonsense. And and why not leverage Make? It's already there. If you have WSL two on Windows, it's installed. If you Mm -hmm. have a Mac, it's installed. Yeah, Make files are for making stuff. You know, and they're a recipe and a target. And what I'm doing is I'm actually setting up what are called phony targets. So in this case, dev is not an actual file or directory. So it's a phony target. It's not an actual file that exists on disk. But that's the thing that Make is very competent at doing. And it's built into the, the system to do it that way. I found it, I really am enjoying saving the keystrokes. I just type make dev, make yeah. build, whatever. And it's 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 been beautiful. It really has. Right. You have a draft? How far are you in this article? I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I still don't know if I'm going to be making things, but. I think you probably will be because okay. it, it really does, especially when you're working with a team of people. Uh-huh. It just makes it so much nicer, man. It makes it so much nicer. I hate doing the same thing over and over. So, I mean, it, if it can yeah. help with that, you know, and I, you know, projects that we have where we're using yeah. Docker to spin up and you kind of say, okay, get Docker installed, do this. But, you know, typically Docker Compose, we try to make it a one-liner as much as we can. But anything that can even make my readme simpler to just say, type this and you're going to be good to go. That's right. So, for All instance, right. I even added a clean command. So, make clean. What it does is it'll do a Docker Compose down dash V to remove any volumes and then it will do a docker compose up dash dash build to like rebuild everything from scratch sure and the idea is if you have someone that doesn't know docker well that's fine just say okay oh you're having problems just type make clean and get a cup of coffee (laughs) you know what i mean make reset maybe if yeah make clean yeah no that makes sense yeah yeah so it's allowed me to do some really nice things i've got a plug-in development environment which is another thing that i have an article that i need to write on and one of the things that it lets you do is it lets you switch between mysql and postgres without restarting any Anything, without restarting any containers, without doing anything. So I have make commands for that. So you type make Postgres and now, oh, boom, now you're using Postgres with your site that you're running. And if you want to go back to MySQL, type make MySQL and it goes back to MySQL. And this is also, I can test these plugins and the various uh, database drivers and all that kind of stuff. But it just shows that it's a really kind of nice way to make like a little mini application that controls the stuff that you work on. And I have, I have really been enjoying it. It will be the next article that I come out with. I know I got the okay. webpack article, the webpack five <laughs> that I've been talking about forever. But I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this, and then I've got a plugin development environment article that is probably gonna be next, and then I also have a the webpack for five build system for plugins that I'm probably gonna write something up on. I, I don't know. This is all you know pending pending copious free time. You know, sure, <laughs> aren't we all? Ryan Ireland is saying that he used to use rake files for automating local tasks, and yeah, it's the same idea. I mean, rake is a, a Rubyism; it's a Ruby ripoff of of Make essentially. But it's the same idea. And the the real benefit of this is that you can standardize the commands, but what they do will be local to every project without any kind of config or setup or any of that kind of stuff. Ben Croker says that the portability of make sounds very appealing. I really like it, man. And the less I have to think about it, the better. And also the less that other people that are on my team have to think about it, the better. If I decide that I'm going to switch out or or maybe some additional thing needs to be done before local dev comes up, or maybe uh, another task needs to happen when I'm building the assets for production, I can just add it and it'll be transparent. You know, all they have to know is make dev, make build, boom, away you go. So that's it. Abusing make files for fun and no profit. (laughs) 
Nice. So you wanted uh, to, you you had mentioned something about Tailwind and Windy. You you want to get into the controversy? Is that what I it is? I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I, I, the bigger thing that I had on my mind though is like I'm very happy to see. I, I guess maybe last time we recorded the Tailwind JIT compiler, maybe it had just come out. Maybe we talked about it a little bit, but it, it's we really did. impressive. It you know this way that instead of Tailwind just building everything and then pairing it back to, you know based on a purge list, it is uh, kind of selectively just building the Tailwind you need, and they're seeing you know really. I think 10x performance benefits for it. I'm interested, as you were just talking about Webpack, though, with Tailwind, JIT, or Windy, which they're continuing to innovate. And I think innovation and competition is a good thing there. I don't want to delve too far into it. Between that and then ES Build and all these tools, like we're really seeing things move quickly in terms of getting what is a very complex front-end stack become much more performant, I feel. And a lot of these things are maturing. I'm interested you, you're still using Webpack 5 there. Are you looking at, at switching stacks or doing anything there? Are you still pretty much you like webpacks it gives you complete control yeah, yeah i mean we, we talked about this last time i have no performance issues with webpack i do think that es build is wonderful and that is what snowpack and vite or vite or whatever the hell it is yeah, yeah they're all using es build there's also another one that's written in rust that does a similar thing which looks interesting as well a lot of the front-end build tools <laughs> are moving to WebAssembly, patrick <laughs> For performance reasons, right? I mean, instead I of running interpretive JavaScript, you know, they're they're running WebAssembly, which makes sense. But. I mean, yeah, I mean, put the stuff that should be, that can be well optimized into C, and if WebAssembly is the way to do it, fine, fine. Well, I mean, that's essentially what ES Build is. So ES Build is written in Go. It's sort of like a, a version of Babel in some ways, but written in Go. And there's another one that's written in Rust, SWC. That's what it okay. is. Okay, haven't even heard of that one yet. I don't know what SWC stands for, but it's hard to Google. Yeah, really? <laughs> Yeah, configuring SWC. Yeah, but that one's written in Rust, so I, I don't know the reason why. Uh, presumably, there's a reason why the folks who are working on Vite and are working on Snowpack ended up going with ES Builds over that. Mm-hmm. But I've heard good things about both. So yep. Yeah, just anything that puts less time that I have to stay there waiting for things to compile and, and all these things to, to start up every time I start. Oh, yeah, up okay, anyway, we, we, we talked about this last time. We so did, what, is, what is the controversy that you want to get into with Tailwind and Windy or do you just want to say screw it and move on? Because my take on this is almost every controversy on Twitter is just garbage and just, well, that's just the thing. ignore let's it, move just on. Ignore yeah, it and it, move on. You know? Yeah, let's move on. What is interesting and, and something that's on my mind yesterday afternoon, so we're recording this on April 2nd, is kind of high availability. I have a couple of clients that care very much. They're large, pretty well-known clients, and they never want their site to be down. Typically, we're on AWS, and AWS has pretty darn good uptime, although there have been some issues where S3 has gone down or other things have gone down, and it's to the point where I just put my hands up and say, I can't help you. Yesterday, I don't know if you have any clients that are running on Azure, but <laughs> large portions of Azure went down. It was a little bit funny. I have a, There's another group that I do some work through, and they ping me around six o'clock and we had some other conversations and I don't know there's just a little bit of friction whoa, 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 anyway six o'clock your phone's not off what's going on <laughs> yeah and uh they ping me the site's down and I'm like oh the site's really slow but it's not down okay yeah it's down now like it, basically everything just crawled to a absolute halt didn't know what was going on and I'm like I can SSH in everything looks fine the CPU is quiet it's very quiet I'm like what's going on and then I'm like ah, let me try to you know jump into the Azure portal and see if Maybe the VM needs a kick or something. And I, I type in portal.azure.com and I get server cannot be found. I'm like, well, that's not normal. I Google for uh, the Azure status page and that's down. I'm like, oh, well, you know, the, you know, the times that I've had this happen where I SSH into the server and you SSH in to like see what's wrong. 
Uh-huh. And then you look at the processes and there's like nothing yeah. running. It reminds me of that movie, that Will Smith Will Smith movie, I Am Legend. You know what yeah. I mean? Where there's, yeah. there's just nobody in the streets. <laughs> you, like, there's like a random dog is, that you're going to befriend. Yeah. <laughs> where is everybody? Uh, where the PHP? I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, well, the, the RAM's a little high. I don't know if that's normal. Like, what's the RAM? Yeah. And, and then I'm like, oh, Azure is very down. Azure's status page is down. I, you know, I jump on Twitter and type Azure down and all these people freaking out that Azure's down. And I, <laughs> all I did is I smiled. I, you know, wiped my hands and I, I forwarded a, a link to Azure being down on Twitter. I said, there's nothing I can do. Interestingly, this uh, client also has a static site and the VMs themselves didn't go down. So that static site just kept on running mm. there, you know, very easily could have gone down because Azure had, I think it was more, more networking issues. So network communication between the VMs and MySQL, you know, they're being run off off of the uh basically we're, we're just gone well, yeah anything, it, it, anything can go down like people talk about jamstack yeah, is yeah. so great because you're just deploying static files and you can cache them on the edge or whatever but at some point it can go down like netlify was down uh, well, for a little bit thing. a little while ago you know well, how, what do i do because you know i'd love to go i'm we're doing basically everything headless now at this point i don't want a, a server to be there to serve up an html page really if i don't have to you know obviously something has to serve it it has to be served at some point and that's, I guess, where I'm going is, what do we do? Because if I say Netlify, oh, they're great, you, you know, or, or Vercel or any of these guys, but they're just one company and they can go down and they are probably more likely to go down than Azure or AWS because they're running on Azure or AWS or Google Cloud. Google Cloud platform. Well, stuff um, happens, right? I mean, like we not too long ago, there was a an actual fire at the building of some hosting site in France. OVH, I think it was. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, 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 huge. So, what do you do then, right? So, the the only thing I can think, Patrick, is if you really, really care about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. is you can have multiple servers that are across the world, and you can have either via DNS or a proxy or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if one one data Kinda center swap and catches on fire, you can switch it over to the other one. But I, I sort of look at this kind of the way that we had looked at the uh, the bet that I took where, yeah, I could be out $80,000, but we'd have bigger problems. You know what I mean? Right. If you're hosting on some major infra like Amazon and yeah. all of Amazon's infra is down, yeah. you know, odds are really good that there are way more important clients that are down and more important facilities that are down than whatever right. your client site is. You know what yeah. I mean? And, so, you know, Amazon's know. engineers, Microsoft's engineers, they're going to get things up more quickly than any disaster recovery I might. I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah, if you had some sort of a hot swap and can then automatically fail over, but then what if that fail, the thing that's keeping track of the failovers, if that's the one to fail, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of money to be made in like making something properly highly available at the same point. Like is it diminishing returns at that point? Yeah. It depends on what goes wrong though, because you can have this massively decentralized whatever. And if like the the root DNS servers go down or something, well, you're screwed. Like no one's going to, one's going anywhere or if a certain route is just screwed in and it doesn't route around it properly well it may not matter that you've got a server in singapore and you got another one in in adelaide or whatever because the route just may never get there regardless of what you do so i don't know i guess it depends on how important it really is what amount of availability really is important is this really like a mission critical thing patrick are people gonna die if they can't get to this is it is no it? but you know e-commerce man gotta keep the dollars flowing yeah but like if all of Amazon is down. You know what well, I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, yeah it's just one of the, you know, as I thought about what it looks like for a couple clients to take them more headless and get it off of 
you know, right now I've just been throwing it on an Nginx server, running on an EC2 or DigitalOcean or whatever. But yeah, even then, you know, I have less control over what happens if someone else goes down. The client says, our site's down. And I'm like, well, yeah, the, the person I recommended to you, they're down and I don't know why and I can't fix it. It's just also that bit of powerlessness is is tough to say here if something goes wrong we're going to be helpless to fix it or do you want to put in the money to have a failover and have you know ourselves publishing this maybe flat site to a couple different places mirror the database to a couple different places you know how much do you go into and and then do you actually test that or do you wait until something goes wrong to test it no you definitely test it so andrea is saying single point of failure decentralize all the things so Yes, that is true. I mean, the the other thing that I would say, though, is a phrase that I enjoy is when good enough is best. And there are a lot Uh of times when a good enough solution really is the best solution in the end. Is it an absolute foolproof setup that is never going to go wrong? No. But the amount of time and work and effort you would have to put into that only to have it potentially not work anyway, depending on what the kind of failure is that's out of your control. I don't know, man. Sometimes good enough is bad. But But I have set up systems like this where we've had, we've got a server that is physically sitting in one data center, another physically sitting in another data center, and we would just have it sync. I've also set up master slave uh, databases before. I know that's not the right terminology to use these days, but that's what's used in the the industry. Basically, one one database is a copy of another database. And you know, I've set these things up before, but I've also thought about it. I don't know, man. One thing this pandemic has kind of made me think about is these things that we think are just so critical and nothing can go wrong. I mean, yeah, yeah I don't know. It can go wrong. A site yeah. can be down for an hour. <laughs> A site can be down for an hour or two while Amazon figures out what's wrong with it, as opposed to spending massive amounts of money and redundancy. And maybe you'll get it switched over 10 minutes before they fix the problem. I don't yeah. know. It depends. Anyway, yeah, if so we're talking millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, then sure. But for the majority of sites that all of us work on, eh, have good backups. That's about yeah. it. Ben's asking, how long did it take for the site to come back? And was the client understanding towards you? Yeah. I mean, it, there was nothing I could do. And so, and two, it's like when you say Microsoft's, the Microsoft's having problems. Okay. Well, Microsoft, I know them. They're, you know, right. a bajillion dollar company. My, my fear there has been like if we move to a, a Netlify or Vercel, someone that doesn't have the cloud of, you know, you tell someone Microsoft is down. They're like, oh, okay. This is clearly something that is unforeseeable and unfixable from our end. If it's Netlify is down, they're like, yeah, who is Netlify again? Why did you point us to them? Why are they having downtime? Like it's then my fault because I'm the one that put a little bit of my reputation on the line vouching for Netlify if it was. And I'm not trying, you know, they, I think have really decent uptime, but no one's up all the time. But when it's, it's the old saying, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. I think it was. If you're using someone like AWS or Microsoft and they're the ones having issues, people are like, well, you, you put all of our chips onto a big blue chip provider. Someone like Netlify, you know, your average small to medium business or even sometimes large business, they've never heard of Netlify. So they're going, they're trusting you that this is going to be a good provider and have good uptime. And if that goes wrong, it's it, it may reflect back on the person who made that recommendation. It's kind of where I'm going with that. So, yeah. And one of the other things that I have done before, too, is when something like this happens and the the client is kind of freaking out about it, I send them a link to a high profile site that they know of. And I'm I'm like, look, (laughs) yeah, you know. This Best site is down, com is down right now, or yeah, yeah. exactly. And then like, there's hey, they're usually you know, like, okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, they yeah. have a giant team. You have one freelancer, <laughs> like they can't get this right either. Yeah, right, right. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, Patrick, I still have a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about, but I don't I don't want to keep us going too long on here, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think we can save some of this for next time. This is a good length. I like the one hour stand up some. Yeah. I want to talk about SEOmatic cheat codes uh, next time. We'll oh, yeah. get to that. Yeah, yeah I, I, whole, I just I, had a lot of fun. You you helped me out a little bit, but then I got further into uh, really latching into JSON LT and doing it in the module layer of things rather than kind of burying everything in Twig. And this goes back to headless, but Let's save that for next time. All I'm going to say is that if anyone wants, uh, start to play around with some of the event hooks around like the container interfaces, because you can do some pretty cool stuff just doing, you know, some, uh, you know, not cluttering up your, your templates. And there's really cool stuff you build, Andrew, with all the models for JSON LD. And let's talk about that next time, though. It, it was a really fun time I had. I spent a whole lot of time making sure that the developer API for SEOmatic was something that I really enjoyed using. And SEOmatic consumes its own API to do all the things that it does. So yeah, we, we will talk about that next time. And I did a stream recently with Caroline that I think you might have missed, where oh, nice. I, we led her through what it would look like to update a site that was using an, a combination of another plugin and custom sure. oh, SEO cool. stuff. Yeah, so we talked about that when she was on the show and yeah, that's yeah. cool. So I ended up doing a stream with her and that is on the NY Studio 107 YouTube channel. So by the way, well, I'll link to that too and I'll, and I'll give you the show a notes, link yeah. on that. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you like what we're doing, like, subscribe, thumb, hit that bell, do all that stupid crap yeah, that the streamers tell you to do. Yeah, wherever it is. And I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. Bye-bye. Thanks. in SEOmatic are designed to be really, really easy that you can just go in there. And the way the paradigm that it uses is the GUI prepares all of the settings and then it dumps them into your templates and into these containers. And then either in Twig or in PHP, you can manipulate, you can add, remove, do whatever you want using an SEOmatic uses the same APIs to do the same thing. You can do absolutely anything. And then it ends up rendering and, and doing its thing after you're all done with it. So I tried to make it really nice from a, a layering perspective there. Yeah, yeah it, it's never, for whatever reason, the docs you have on Twig have never quite resonated with me um, to kind of say, hey, get this main entity of page, do this. Part you got to read them. I, That's the problem. What's that? Well, you no, no, them. no. I, I've read them. I, I've <laughs> tried to play with them and I've had, I'm like, oh, it's not even... It's just, you know, I want to put it, attach an aggregate rating to this product. You know, I wrote a whole um, article on JSON-LD and adding well, them. It, I, a whole I, I article. think part of it is that when you're living in Twig, it, it's not always super simple, especially when you're getting things off of arrays to pull in, um, like, all of the object completion and, and detection of what, you know, what model you're working with and what properties it has and to really right, get right, Twig wait, to well, do let's, that. Wait, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. Time. Let's do it next time. I'll send you the links to this. Bye, everybody. Thank you for coming on. And I got to try and drag this off of my teleprompter thing here, which works wonderfully, by the way. It works so good, dude. (laughs) It works so good. It's it's freaking awesome. It really does. Uh, Okay. So here is this this link that I'm sending you Mm -hmm. is the... um, 
uh, structured data. The, the uh, Zencaster is still running. Yeah. Okay. Let me turn that. And I, and I did screw that up too, by the way. Oh no! Did not turn. No, it's on at the beginning, right? No, I, we missed the no. first part. 